I really don't have the, the prayer and everything and the uh, reading of the word, but I do have a scripture that's come to mean a lot to me. And it's Psalms 3, 3. It says, but you, Lord, are my shield. You are my glory, and you are the one who restores me. So I have a testimony, a story of restoration that took about 20 years. I'd like to share it with you real quickly, as fast as I can. So uh, I told my Sunday school class, when it comes to witnessing, you know, I don't think that you have to have a four-point bulletin. I don't think you have to read a pot or have it listen to a podcast or have a big, long thing. But if somebody walks through the door, they want to know why we follow Jesus. And to do that, all you have to do is one thing, and that's tell your story. Your story is what matters. And when you tell your story, sometimes you have to open yourself up and be scrutinized. And sometimes it's not good. Some of the stuff that we've all been hiding is not good. So we know that. So I'm going to jump right into it. In uh, 91, I got out of the Army. And I came home. And I was flat broke. I'd been through a divorce. I lost my two girls in a court battle. And uh, I was on my last leg. Army, all they did was give me a plane ticket and said bye. You know, so I came home. I was here a couple of months. And uh, I had a family member say, hey, come back to West Virginia. You know, I'll get you a job. So I did. I, ran, I went back to West Virginia. And uh, for two years, I waited on this job. And for two years, I kept doing what I wanted to do. And every day, every day, I'm telling you as I'm standing here, every day, the Lord was there saying, I want you back. I want you back. I want you home. Because I had accepted the Lord at six years old. You know, and I grew up in the church. And I'd followed the Lord for a while. But uh, as you get older, you do your own thing and you run. So uh, after two years doing my own thing, I just couldn't take it no more. I got to, to the point where I was like, Lord, I'm yours. You know, I just knelt beside the bed and said, I can't do it no more. And I have to follow you. You're the only one that's going to get me out of this. So he did. And again, he brought me back down here, which I didn't want to be, you know. So uh, he brought me here, and I went to work at Chip Oaks, and some of y'all have done it. I had the year, the year hourly thing where I worked a year, you know. And before I got done with the year at Chip Oaks, I actually got an hourly position at VDOT. And I was working as an hourly position there. I was there a couple of months, and a permanent position came available. So I went and applied, did my interview, you know, and uh, didn't hear nothing. And so uh, one Saturday morning, uh, I knock on the door, and there's the police. And the police saying, Mr. Meredith? I said, yeah, you're under arrest, you know. Uh, failure to pay child support and we need to uh, take you in. So I went in and I said, well, listen, I said, uh, my ex took off. I mean, I didn't know where she was at. I didn't have the girls, didn't know anything, didn't know, have any clue where they was at. And I said, well, you'll have to go to court and figure that out. So uh, some of y'all came and visited me at Western Tideworth Jail. I remember that and trust me, it was greatly appreciated, you know. And uh, so I spent 39 uh, days in jail there in Kentucky. Guess where I found out they was at? They had moved to Kentucky, and I had, didn't have a clue. So there was three things that would get me out of jail. One was uh, I had to pay $3,000 from back rearage, and Dad did that for me. And uh, I had to have a job. And I said, well, I just did an interview. Do you mind calling VDOT? So they did. Called VDOT, and VDOT said yes. Matter of fact, we was going to give them the job. We were just waiting to see what y'all was going to do. You know, so if you release them, he has a job when he comes back. So uh, I said, that's great. 
So when I went before the judge, the judge said, two of the, two of the criteria's met, there's only one left, and you have to accept a felony. That's the only way we're gonna let you go if you accept a felony. So I took the felony and came home, you know, and it's not what I wanted, you know. That was devastating. Didn't want a whole lot of people to know. There was a few people here in church I told, but I always thought that having a felony on me, you know, kept me from getting positions at work and, you know, I didn't want nobody at work to know. Every time I got a new boss, I would tell him, but I just didn't, you know, broadcast it. I didn't want people to look down at me. So it was something that had hung around my neck for a long time. So in 2001, of all things, we was in David Coggins' class, and I'd been talking about the girls. I'd seen them once or twice, and uh, that was a great thing. But I, my heart was to, to have my girls, you know, spend as much time with them as I could. And I'll never forget it. This guy come in, his name was Steve, and I can't remember his last name, but he was like a prophet. And he came in here that Sunday morning as we was listening uh, in the Sunday school class, and I was telling my story how much I wanted the girls, and he looked at me and he says, you know what? He said, I went through the same thing. He said, you keep following the Lord like the way you're doing, and you'll get your girls. I was like, okay, you know, you say so. You know, and then he kind of like me, he come up here and took over everything that morning, you know, and I never seen him again, never seen him again. But uh, I was praying one night shortly after that. I mean, we're talking about a couple of weeks shortly after that. I get a phone call at 10 o'clock at night. It's from my ex-mother-in-law. She says, listen, she said, uh, the girl's mother can no longer take care of the girls. Do you want them? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, me and dad jumped in and somebody provided a van. And again, everything just worked out. I mean, the Lord was there every step within a week, but less than a week. It was just a couple of days. I mean, the Lord found the lawyer and everything. And I'm sitting there with the paperwork and I got the two girls. And so I bring them home, you know. And I raised the two girls. I raised them till they uh, both graduated from high school. And I mean, some of y'all remember them being here. And, uh, you know, my youngest one married a child school sweetheart, you know. My oldest one, she went to uh, Mary Washington, got her degree, and got a free ride to uh, San Diego State University and got a master's degree. And she's also written two books. And she's also a teacher now in Maryland, you know. So as far as the secular part or whatever, that's great. But we have no relationship because Mama got involved, involved again and we're not even speaking. Not on their part, not mine. You know, I've tried to do things, but God's not done there yet. So in 2012, I met Ruth and uh, we got married. And of course, we got three boys. And I did not want the boys to know that I had a felony. To me, it was a shameful thing. And two of the boys really, really loved guns. And they really, really wanted to go hunting all the time and didn't understand why Mr. Jack didn't want a gun in the house. So I came up to, we just lived that way. We just lived that way and I lived with it and I had that burden on me for a long time. And so in October, end of October last year, I walk in the house and man, there's a gun sitting on the table, you know? And I'm like, Ruth, what's going on? You know, I'm not allowed to have a gun. She said, well, Raleigh wants to know why he can't have one. And she said, I think you need to tell him. And I was like, no. It's like my whole world just crashed down on me. No, I do not want to go through this. I'm willing to live with this around my neck, but I don't want to expose myself like this again. She said, well, I've been on the internet and we have looked at before in the past and uh, Kentucky's laws were, you know, very strict. One of the strictest, probably the strictest in the nation, if not. 
you know, one of them. But anyhow, she said they've changed the laws. She said if we get a lawyer, she said if we get a lawyer, we can uh, have this uh, expunged from your record, and it'll be just as if you never had it. I said, great. She said, well, so you need to call for a lawyer. So Monday morning I called, called all around everybody. Every lawyer I called, it. we don't do that. I'm sorry, we just don't do that. So I was crushed. I was like, man, I still got to live with this. And Ruth said, you know, I've been reading further, and we can actually go and file for ourselves if we want to. It's a whole lot cheaper, you know. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, okay. So we got in the car and left. You know, rode up there Monday morning when they opened up, went to the uh, county clerk, paid the four or four hundred dollars, gave him the gave him the paperwork, and I haven't asked one question. I said, "Do I have to stand in front of the judge?" She and the clerk said, "Oh yes." I said, "Really?" I said, "Cause I it takes eight hours to come up here, just on the road on the road to come up here." I said, "So that means I gotta leave." The day before, the day of, and the day after to get back. That's three days of leave. Do I have to do this? She said, well, let me talk to the head clerk. So I talked to the head clerk, and she says, absolutely, you got to be here. She said, we only do this on Thursdays. Said it's either your lawyer or you have to be here. And I said, and I explained the situation. She said, well, I tell you what. She said, you go on home and uh, give me a, your email and your phone number, and I'll call you. She said, but uh, I'll talk to the judge. So I came home. Waited a couple of weeks, hadn't heard nothing, so I called. And uh, she said, oh, yes, I've talked to the judge. The judge says you don't have to be here if the Commonwealth attorney says it's fine with him. I said, well, when are we going to find out that? She said, well, I put an email in, and I'm waiting on a confirmation from him. So get to the, uh, the point where I get like a day or two before I have to leave, and I'll call her again because she hasn't called. You know, and I said, uh, have you heard anything? She said, no, but she said, I'm pretty sure it's going to be okay. She said, if you, you don't have to be here. She said, but uh, just give me a call afterwards. So on Thursday when they had the court meeting or whatever, I was waiting for a phone call, never got it, waited again, you know, called the next day. Oh, yes, yes, he signed it. It's no problem. She said, we sent you your, your paperwork. It's in the mail, and it'll be at your house, you know. So I've got my paperwork. I am a restored man. <laughs> Expungement's a good word, you know what I'm saying? But it brings me to another point. You know, this is the second time I've been expunged, okay? If you've known Christ, you've been expunged, and you know what he's done on Calvary for you and for me, all right? So I just want to say that to be encouraging. Uh, it took 20 years, and I know people have you know, problems and stuff. It doesn't always happen overnight. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it takes a long time. But my point is, just hang in there, because Christ ain't forgot you. Amen? Thank you.